My topic this evening is receiving the kingdom, and my text, Mark 10, 15, Jesus said, truly I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child shall not enter it. We continue in our preaching series from Mark chapters 8 through 10, seeing to follow. I want to begin with a question. How do you receive a kingdom? I know how to receive a package, and on good days I know how to receive a visitor, and though I've never done it, I can imagine how to receive a king, but how do you receive a kingdom? And Jesus says, receive it like a child. Does this help? Now, this is serious stuff, because the master speaks this with the truly formula. And when he says truly, we better listen up. Whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child shall not enter it. Like a child? What do children have to teach us about receiving the kingdom of God? Apparently, we need their help. Our psalm this evening, Psalm 131, concludes, O Israel, hope in the Lord from this time forth and forevermore. How are we to hope in the Lord? What will manifest the reality that we hope in the Lord? And the psalm provides an answer. Be calmed and quieted like a weaned child with its mother. Now, a weaned child is no longer nursing. The child is separate and distinct from its mother, not organically connected, and yet in communion with its mother, trusting and resting. So apparently, to learn how to hope in the Lord, we are to look at a toddler in its mother's arms. And to hope in the Lord is to receive the kingdom of God. So we are not to be proud or haughty, as the psalm begins, but know our place and accept our limits and let go the questions that have no answer in this life. But rest and hope in the arms of our mother. Now in Isaiah, chapter 11 is the climax of what has been building for several chapters. Isaiah 7:14, "Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and shall call his name Emmanuel, God with us." And in chapter nine, verse six, "For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder." So in our reading this evening, we learn that this son, this child is from the house of Jesse, is a new shoot from the stump of Jesse. Spirit anointed, which means he's Messiah, and bringing justice for the poor and judgment for the wicked, establishing a peaceable kingdom where predator and prey dwell together in peace, led by a little child. 
where no one is hurt and nothing is destroyed, as everyone and everything is flooded, overwhelmed with the knowledge and love of the Lord. Heaven as a petting zoo. Have you thought about it? Are you childlike enough to enjoy the prospect? Romans chapter 8, our second reading. Paul is dealing with the crucial subject of life in the Spirit. And he urges us as his readers to be led by the Spirit. And he says, if we let the Spirit lead us, what do we become? We become adopted sons and daughters of God, adopted children of God, and heirs of God, and fellow heirs with Christ, heirs to everything that God is and has, provided we suffer with him. And in our struggles, we are to be moved to cry out to God, calling God Abba, Father. Now, this is a little tender, this part of the sermon, and if I get choked up, you'll forgive me. If my name were Berkowitz or Schultz, it wouldn't matter so much, but my name is Abbott. And this word Abba means, from the Aramaic, occurring three times in the New Testament, Romans 8, Galatians 4, and Mark 14, Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane. It's the Aramaic baby talk. For father, Abba, 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 Abba. That's daddy in Aramaic. And the equivalent is Imma, Imma, Imma. That's mommy in Aramaic. And these words come down to us translated father. But they really should be translated in something more intimate as dad or daddy. And even when it says, dear father, and the Greek is pater, which it is in much of Jesus' teachings about prayer, scholars think that the underlying word is Abba, daddy. Evangelicals often talk as though God were a parakeet on their shoulder, so close and so intimate is the relationship. Not a paraclete, that's a different matter, a parakeet. And I'm an evangelical, but I have to acknowledge that sometimes we act as though God's kind of right here, ready to be rubbed up like the genie in the lamp to do whatever it is we want done. But you know, in 70 years, I have never heard a Christian pray, Daddy, Heavenly Daddy, Father God, Heavenly Father, our Father in Heaven. But I've decided in my old age, to get back to the root meaning of Abba and to pray privately. I won't do it in public and embarrass myself and you. To pray privately to God as Daddy. Because God, through Jesus, becomes our dear Father. And we are adopted as his children And we can, indeed we should, cry out to him as a child to his loving father. It made a lot of difference to me in April of 1960. That was in the last millennium when pterodactyls still flew and the ice cap covered northern New England. 
But I made a commitment to Christ through the ministry of a campus crusade for Christ worker at Harvard College. And I experienced forgiveness and peace as promised. But I had a small part in a play. And as I waited for my time to go on stage, I leaned out the open door of the Paeta Theater, which is now a boutique or a restaurant on Winthrop Street in Cambridge. And I looked up at the clouds, the low overhanging clouds lit from below by the lights of Cambridge. And I didn't see overhanging clouds lit golden from below by the lights of Cambridge. I saw God's presence and care. Suddenly the universe was not vast and cold and empty and utterly indifferent to whether I lived or died, but filled with the presence of a loving God, a Father. So our readings remind us how much we are called to be children and childlike towards God. And if you're sitting there feeling like this is a demotion and you've worked hard to become an adult, hey, being a child of God is a step up from being sheep, isn't it? So at least take some satisfaction in that. Now, you might think this is an evangelistic sermon that will end with an altar call for those who have not received the kingdom of God to do so right now. I hope it will have that effect on those among us who are seekers in terms of taking the final step. But I'm really preaching to those of you who think you've already received the kingdom of God, like me, through a decision at a youth event or in a confirmation class or perhaps saying your prayers with a parent. Because you need to go on receiving the kingdom of God like a child every day. Every day? Every day. And there are five things that children can teach us about receiving the kingdom of God. And the first is this, that life is gift and not bargain. Think about it. The warmth and darkness of the womb. The constant nourishment of the umbilical cord. And then lights. And breast milk. And diaper changes. And hugging. And singing and jogging, and diaper changes, and bath, and food spooned into our mouths, and diaper changes. And it's all gift. We can do nothing to earn it. We can't negotiate it. We can't bargain for it. Oh, you say a baby's smile just draws our love, but it's really gas, isn't it, those early smiles? We don't know what we're doing except getting rid of gas. Life comes to us as gift, and that's the tragedy of children who are neglected or abandoned or in danger, because suddenly the gift is not there, and they are helpless to negotiate and to bargain. They have no skills, they have no resume, they have no power. Life as gift for them or nothing at all. And so I recommend to you as a daily prayer when you wake up in the morning, Thank you, say this, thank you, Heavenly Daddy, for the gift of another day. What would you have me do with it? Just roll out of bed, on your knees, on the floor. Thank you, Heavenly Daddy, for the gift of another day. What would you have me do with it? Life as gift, not bargain. That's the condition of a child. And the second point is this, first-time freshness, the capacity for awe and wonder. 
How many times since April of 1960 have I looked up at the night sky with the undershining lights of a city and thought, God's loving presence in the universe? Not very often. I've thought, oh boy, the weather doesn't look good. My plans may be interrupted. This doesn't look hopeful for tomorrow's events. Awe and wonder is the characteristic of a child. When you're blessed with a child, if you are, and you wheel this boy or girl in public, you see hard faces of total strangers melt when they look at your child, and your child smiles. You see a child's face over birthday candles lit from below, with eyes shining and sparkling at the prospect of three candles, one to grow on, and cake. Christmas morning, in our house, the parents stuffed the stockings, the parents brought the gifts under the tree. The gifts that were too big to wrap were called projects, and they were simply put beside the tree. And then my father played something grand on the piano, and the door was open, and we all walked into the living room. And one Christmas, there was a silver Jeep that I could pedal, that had lights that lit and a horn that sounded, and a star on the front. Oh, my face shone. First time freshness. Now you say, well, I can't manage that, right? I mean, are you trying to kind of work me up? Oh, yeah, life is wonderful. Yeah, I can't do that all the time. But what I'm trying to persuade you of is the reality is that you are full of awe, but you cover it with fatigue and caution and distraction, mainly distraction. And the only way to renew it in you is not by some mental act of will, but by looking around and looking back. The devil's great work is amnesia. And looking forward. Repeat after me, if you will. No eye has seen. No ear has heard. No mind has conceived what God has prepared for those who love him. But God has revealed it to us by his spirit. Stay in that frame of mind as much as you can with the first time freshness of a child so that when you come to worship at the Church of the Cross, you don't flop into a pew near your friends as far as possible from the people who irritate you and sit there thinking, what's on today? And deciding whether you like that first hymn or not and whether the reading is well executed or not and whether the sermon speaks to you or not. Come to offer in freshness, first time freshness, the awe and wonder of being a child of God. And the third thing is that with a child, trust is freely given, not earned. A child will trust you as long as he or she can. You betray that trust and the child is hurt and withdraws or complains or runs away. And this is the opposite for you and me as adults. With us, trust must be earned. We have ways of approaching new people, new situations and strangers that will minimize our peril and hazard until we get the right information that will tell us whether this person or this situation is one we can trust. 
don't take candy from strangers is something children need to be told. And it's a good lesson for them to, to learn. But it's a lesson from adults with whom trust is earned and not freely given. But with a child, trust is freely given. And God in Christ is not a stranger. And we need to trust God. Trust God with our doubts and our questions and our reservations and our complaints and our laments. But don't try to bargain with it. And above all, don't try to put him to the test. Give trust freely, like a child. God will not disappoint you. You will not have to withdraw it if you will extend it. And the fourth way in which we need to receive the kingdom of God like a child is we need to receive it with a single perspective, the real you, the only you. You didn't know there was a real you and only you. There is. But around it have come many masks. The first time you told a lie to your mother or your father, a false self was born. The self you wanted your mother or father to believe about you, and it was different from the real self. You wanted your mother to believe you hadn't taken those cookies. In fact, you had. And the false self was the virtuous non-cookie taker liar. And the real self was the cookie thief who wouldn't own up. And that develops as we grow more and more complex, presenting ourselves to other people in ways that will recommend us to them, in ways that will keep them happy with us, in ways that will please them. Those of you in academia who confess Christ know how to speak secularese. It's a register, it's a linguistic register. You know how to speak that language so that no one would ever have a hint that you had a personal relationship with God through Jesus. Because that could be damaging and embarrassing and require defense and raise difficult questions. And so you speak secular release and it's a mask that you wear. This becomes worse and worse until we reach someone like Coach Sandusky, late of the Penn State football team, who despite his conviction for sexual abuse of, is it 19 or 23 or 44 boys? I've lost track. Says with a straight face, I never did any of those things. My only sexual relationship has been with my wife. And I believe he believes it because that's the terrible end of the false selves that we adopt in order to try to please others, in order to try to shelter and hide things we've done of which we are ashamed. But the only one who can truly receive the kingdom, and this may be the reason for some of our struggles, the only one who can truly receive the kingdom, like a child, is not the spiritual you, not the educated you, not the mother or father pleasing you, but just you. Basic, elemental, from the beginning, you. So put aside the masks, face yourself, sit in the ashes and debris of all your poses and cry, Abba, Daddy, to God. And finally, fifth, life depends on relationship. 
Children know that. Children live that. Initially, there's mommy and me in the womb. There's just us, so that the child doesn't realize it's an us. It's just all that is. And then there's birth, and the relationship becomes clear that it's mommy and me. Mommy's breast, mommy's heartbeat, mommy's voice, mommy's touch. And then maybe daddy gets included. If there is a daddy, God help us, there are a lot of families without daddies. And pretty soon, maybe brothers and sisters, too. But it's all relational. It's an accomplishment to be able to go to sleep by yourself. That's a a separation. To be left with a sitter, that's a separation. To have your first day at school. To have your first sleepover with a friend. These are all separations moving away from that essential relationship with the mother who gave you birth and the father who protected and provided for you. And life is separation until the point at which we die alone. And that's the fact. But other relationships develop and should develop. A healthy life, a whole life, is deeply relational. Solitude as a lifestyle is a survival mechanism when relationships have failed. And a sociopath is a dangerous condition where one is incapable of normal, mutual human relationships. Sometimes we come to think that we live by ideas or by personal goals or by wealth or by power. We don't. We live if we live relationally. So how do we receive a kingdom? How do we receive a kingdom, the kingdom of God? How do we receive the kingdom of God like a child? The kingdom of God is not a territory. It has no boundaries, no flag, no capital. It issues no postage stamps. It is not a philosophy, much less an ideology. It's not a series of rituals and spiritual practices. It's a relationship that Jesus provides for us through his life and death and resurrection, and the gift of the Holy Spirit. It's a relationship with his dear daddy, his Abba, his father, the sovereign Lord of the universe, in whom we have forgiveness and healing and hope. So every day, each day, renew that relationship like a child, persuaded that it is given, not earned, absolutely amazing, to be trusted despite life's apparent setbacks and struggles at the most basic level of self of which you are conscious and as the most important thing in your life. And if you do this, you will remain forever God's beloved child. Amen.